Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Well, we are um, right in the thick now of our series on the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at various um, teachings from the scripture about the Holy Spirit so that we might learn uh, more about him and become more and more uh, just uh, instructed and therefore confident in terms of living lives full of the Holy Spirit. And today's uh, subject is called Spirit-Led Community. So let's go together to Acts chapter 2. It's a very well-known passage for those of you who have been believers for a while. You'll be very familiar with this passage, um, but please uh, remain as alert to it as if you'd never read it before so that we can get just a fresh sense of it, the power, the impact um, of these words. It's great that we read God's word together, so I'm going to ask if we can just read it out loud together. We're going to read from Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, so verse 42 to the end. Now, just to say, just to give you some context, this, this, today's reading starts directly after Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is poured out where there's tongues of fire and the sound of a rushing wind and, you know, crowds gather, what's going on? And they're all speaking in languages they haven't learned before, you know, and some people are perplexed what's going on. Other people are saying, oh, look, at they're crazy, they're drunk. And then Peter stands up says, no, this is the fulfillment of what Joel, the prophet, prophesied hundreds of years ago, that in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then he preaches the gospel and talks about all that God has done through Jesus. And then we're told that 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, So that day, 3,000 responded to the message to repent and be baptized. Extraordinary. Um, and so directly this now follows. So you'll find that at the end of verse 41, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So now let's uh, read together out loud um, 42 to the end. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. <laughs> and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. My bad. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well done. Lord, we thank you for your word. We want to just pray now, Lord, as we focus on it for this next chunk of our meeting, that as we're thinking about your spirit, we pray for the presence of the spirit to do wonderful things in our lives, Lord. We constantly need the work of your spirit in our lives. Thank you for the story of the Israelites in the wilderness and this fresh bread daily. And this, what it teaches us, Lord, that you don't expect us to live off of old things. Hallelujah. You want to keep meeting with us, nourishing us, feeding us. And we want to respond in faith to that. Say, yes, Lord, our hearts are open. Please speak to us today. Bring healing where it's needed, Lord. Bring deliverance where it's needed, Lord. 
Bring restoration where it's needed, Lord. Bring renewal where it's needed, Lord. Bring repentance where it's needed, Lord. Come and have your way among us. We're yours. We belong to you. Amen. Amen. So, let's jump straight in because um, we had such a wonderful time praising the Lord that we are somewhat running behind, behind time. So, we'll, 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 that's not a problem. That's fine. Um, so we're told straight away, I want to just, first of all, just draw your attention to this whole spirit-led community. What does it look like when the spirit leads a community? What, what's going on? There's so many angles you could go on here. I wrestled with what, what passage to do, and in the end, I settled on this one. So it's not going to be exhaustive, but there's some great stuff in here. First thing I want us to just notice is that they devoted themselves. So before we look at what they devoted themselves to, they devoted themselves. That word devotion, the Spirit had come on them. They've met with God and the result was they devoted themselves. Right? So they weren't cajoled into doing things. Right? It wasn't about, come on! You know, that's not the vibe at all. It's, it's a totally different feel. The Spirit of God is cut, has come. There's an internal motivation. Something's changed on the inside. I used to want this, now I want that. Okay? These things used to, used to look dull and boring. Now, they, now they're my meat and my potatoes. You know, I, these are the things I long for. It's a work of God on the inside. And may God always keep us and protect us ever from becoming a people that's merely just, it's just externals. Oh, what a dreadful thought. They only know what we're supposed to do, we'll do it. That's just a death. Jesus described people like that as whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside there's no life. When the Spirit of God comes, He works in the inside of our lives, right at the very center. He and here's the thing, He changes our very desires and motivations. Now, what's so powerful about that is that, is that if you look at all of the good and all of the bad that happens in the world, all of that you can trace back to the desires and motivations of men and women's hearts. So when the Spirit of God comes and operates in us at that center point, that means some really exciting things are going to happen. Okay, so they devoted themselves. They were a devoted people. It wasn't casual, but it wasn't imposed. It was devoted, but it came from within. And this is what I want us to have in our minds as we think about what it means to be a spirit-led community. Notice as well, it's talking about the 3,000 that were saved. It's not talking about just the leaders, just the pastors. The chosen few, the professionals, there's none of that. That is completely absent. There is leadership in the Bible, and there's a place where we hear about signs through the apostles. We hear about that, but he's here talking about those who got saved and they devoted themselves. So you've got these are brand new believers, right? And sometimes people that are new believers or they feel like they're immature in the faith, they kind of disqualify themselves. I think maybe they need to stay on the outside for a couple of years, get used to it, and then, no, you've got people that are saved, and then look at them, they're devoting themselves. If you've been saved for an hour, you've got something to say to someone about Jesus. You've got something to share. You may not be ready to be a teacher, but you've got something to say about Jesus. And when you're born again, once you're born again, you are in as much as anyone else is in. Okay? There's no levels or tiers. You're either in or you're out. And in Christ, when you're in, you're in. Amen. So this is talking about all of the 3,000. And I want you to understand that the big story, the big thing the Bible is excited about in the New Testament is that what we've got on our hands now isn't, isn't a, a Gideon or a Samson or a Moses. We've got a people filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's what the prophets looked to with expectation. Brothers and sisters, we're in it. We are in it. 
We're in the age of the Spirit, where the floodgates have opened, and now all people can know the reality of the Holy Spirit on them in power, brought for us by Jesus. Amen. So this is so. I want you to feel that, feel that kind of uh, the excitement of that, the anticipation of that. Let your expectations rise. We're not just trying to hype things up here. This is built on solid scriptural teaching. So first thing is this: they're devoted to the, the apostles' teaching. This is really important to talk about. They're devoted to, there's a body of doctrine, there's a, there's, a, there's, a body, there's a body of beliefs that are absolutely vital. Okay? It's not very fashionable, but it's really true. Okay? That this isn't just a random coming together. We have gathered together. The songs we sing and have been singing represent a body of truth. There's a, there's a content. It's not, oh, I like this, I like that. No, no, no. It's a content. There's a thread that ran through it all, and that's, that's our great God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the great deeds of our God climaxing in the coming of the Son to die for our sins and be raised in glory. Amen? That's, there's a body of doctrine, that, that, and, it's, and, it's, and it's rooted in a God who has revealed his character as faithful, righteous, and just. And therefore, this, the apostles' teaching is not just about what Jesus has done. It's about, it's about God's plan to restore humanity, fallen humanity, back into his image, which means he changes and he transforms us so that our lives begin to, to bleed righteousness, faithfulness, and justice. Because of the work of Christ on the cross. So it is about how we live. This doctrine of what it means to, to be God's people, to belong to him. Certain things are okay, certain things aren't okay. It's a body of doctrine we're devoted to. And, and I think sometimes people, what they do, they, say they sort of put a polar sides, unity and truth. You're either really interested in church, in unity, you know, in the church. So we mustn't talk too much about doctrine because that could upset that. Because doctrine can divide. Or we go, oh, it's just people that are just not interested in unity at all. No, no, let's get to the truth, you know. And, and we'll throw off all semblances of love in order to win arguments on doctrine. Not good, not good. Maturity, Ephesians 4, listen to how Ephesians 4 puts it. It's very it's kind of uh, informative and, and helpful. It just helps us to get our head straight on this stuff. Ephesians 4 talks about... Um, what we looked at last week, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, okay, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, listen, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every crazy idea. It's truth and unity coming together. That's what a mature church looks like. If you've got unity, but actually everyone's thrown away really important parts of the gospel in order to get it, it's not real unity. And it, and it won't live. If you're constantly just trying to win doctrinal arguments and destroy people on the way, you're not going to get anywhere good. But if we can have a mature vision of a real concern for the truth and real love for people, I think we can get somewhere really mature and really good. And there's a devotion to the teaching. Isn't a, give, isn't a throwing away of, of love and kind behavior, not at all. But it is saying, actually, there's some things here with boundaries around them, doctrine-wise that we are committed to 
and that we will, we will go, you know, we will die on a hill for. We will die on a hill for because actually the Bible teaches that what you believe, your eternal destiny hangs on what you do and don't believe. What you do and don't entrust yourself to. That word believe in the Bible, it's more than just ticking off yes some things and no some things. It's about entrusting yourself to. Paul in the book of Romans describes it. He says there's a body of doctrine that we have obeyed from the heart. You obey it from the heart. You give your life. You submit your lifestyle choices. You submit your priorities. You submit, you submit the desires of your heart to this body of belief and are transformed by it. It's very radical. Very powerful. Spirit-led community is a community that is devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is what you find in the Bible. Secondly, they're devoted to fellowship. Fellowship is this sense in which it's when people come together around a common cause. There's this drawing towards one another. It involves investment. It involves effort. It involves humility. It involves courage. To, to, to devote yourself to fellowship, to say, I'm going to be committed to this body of people that God has joined me to, there will be ups and downs. Okay? But it's meant to be like, it's God's family. So let's just think about family for a minute. I was thinking about, in preparation for this sermon, thinking about why is it, what makes arguments okay in a family? Like, no one wants arguments. Most families have them at some point. Thinking now about a family, you know, a nuclear family in a household. What is it that makes them okay? What makes them okay, generally speaking, unless someone does something really, 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 you know, beyond the pale. But generally speaking, you're going, we can handle this. Why? Because when all's said and done, we're family. <laughs> and we'll find a way through. And we'll, we'll go through that. We'll, 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 once everyone's calmed down, we'll sit around and we'll talk it through. And we'll, we'll all start, let's, who's going to be the biggest and start where they went wrong. And then that will open up the floodgates for everyone to start apologising. We'll extend forgiveness and we'll be reconciled. That's a painful process, but it's very fruitful. Everyone grows through it and you end up stronger. Now, bear this in mind for just a moment. In these days, there wouldn't be lots of different churches in one city or one town. So when you fell out with a church, guess what? You'd fallen out with a church. You couldn't just go around the street to the Methodist. <laughs> a lot of that goes on. A lot of that goes on. I don't like that. Don't like them anymore. I'll go there. That's not family. That's not how we do it. It breeds immaturity. This church, the church hopping thing, it just breeds that sense of oh well don't like that, or, or they wound me up, or they're like that. And rather than working it through, you just go somewhere else. That's not being committed to fellowship. It's something else. don't know what it's called, but it's something else. A devotion to, I'm going to look to do all I can to make it work with these people that God has connected me to. And really enjoy the good times and stick at it during the tough times. Devoted to fellowship, spirit-led community. Third thing is they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, whether this means communion, like we just did, or eating together, I mean, because the phrase is used to describe both. It probably, I think it leans towards probably meaning that they were committed to eating together. How cool is that? You see, in the Middle East, when you ate with someone, guess what? You were, you were doing more than eating with them. You were saying, I accept you. Okay, you were saying, I accept you, which is why Paul says in the Bible, like, if someone is a believer... But you know, they're, they're, the way they're living their life 
They say they're a believer, but the way they live in their life is really showing a bad light on the gospel. It's really not godly at all. Paul says, don't associate with them or even eat with them. Why, why, why would he say that? Because in that culture, to sit down and eat with them, you're saying what you're doing is fine. That's a problem. That's a problem. You're not helping, serving, or loving that person by, by, by giving them that, that idea, are you? You're giving them the idea of it's okay when it's not. That's not how we love one another. So they were committed to, and it's a, in, in Romans 15, verse 7, it says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That's a wonderful phrase. It's a wonderful phrase. There will be people in church that you automatically click with and get on with. Praise God for that. There'll be others that you don't. What does the Bible say? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We are called to something that transcends our personal likes and dislikes. We're called to agape love, where we, where, we, where we, within godly wisdom and all of that, but we open our heart to people from all kinds of different backgrounds, different personalities, different tastes. We, we love one another. Yeah? We, we accept one another. We, wel- we, we make one another feel welcomed. They were committed, devoted to the breaking of bread, sitting down and eating together. In our culture, it doesn't mean the same thing. But in this culture, it does so. It's, this is about being devoted to the welcome of one another in the same way that Jesus has welcomed us. It's powerful. Spirit-led community. Fourthly, they're devoted to prayers, it says. They're devoted to the prayers. Again, when you travel in different parts of the world, you realize how secular the UK is. If you go to a part of the world that's cheap, mostly Islamic, you'll find there are these moments where throughout the day everything just kind of stops because it's prayer time. Even being in, over in Israel <clears throat> a few months back, you're just immersed. You just recognize that for many, many people, not everyone, but for many people, their whole, all, their whole day is kind of built around a, a kind of a religious kind of system. I don't use that word in a negative way. It's built around the Torah and these other things. It's built around these things. It's really fascinating. And then you come back to the UK and you realize, wow, we're so individualistic and so secular. People's days are built around their checklist. People, like, people's days are built around what, what they've considered to be important at the start of the day. And then, and then if there's trouble, if that gets challenged. That's secularism. But we don't, even, we don't even know it. We don't even realize. We just think it's normal. It's abnormal. If you read in chapter 3, the bit after what you read, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So every day there would be an hour of prayer. It's just part of life. Everything stops. So brothers and sisters, it is a battle for us who want to be devoted to prayer because of this environment we're surrounded in. And unless we fight for it, we won't. Do it. You, that, you just have to settle that for the rest of your life unless you fight for prayer. Okay, It ain't going to happen. And when I say prayer, I'm referring to... Now, there's, there's all kinds of prayer. There's prayer you can just pray to the day doing what you're doing. Okay, that's great. That's good. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Okay, But if in your life as a believer, there's no, there's no, there's no time that is set aside for prayer... I want to suggest that it will negatively impact your walk with God. 
Because you'll just be snatching bits here and there rather than learning to pray through on stuff, learning to really focus on the Lord, just to give, to, to give yourself to prayer. Whether that is alone with God, to, often we tend to default to that, don't we? Again, individualistic society. Nothing wrong with that. Time alone with God really important. But running partners, pray together. GCs, pray together. Tuesday mornings, occasional half nights on Friday, we pray together. Spirit-led community devotes themselves to it. I was in a brilliant conversation with a couple the other day, just really about GC. They just said, no, we just, we just, clear, out, we just clear out Wednesday night, end of story, nothing's going to get in the way of it. Oh, such a mature approach. Now, of course, occasionally there'll be you know, well, you know, emergencies and stuff, but there was just a mindset of that's what we do then. And it struck me because it's actually, it's quite, with the FOMO thing, everyone's worried about something better happening, you know, often, particularly younger people, are afraid to do that. Because what if something better comes along? The problem with that mindset is is you never build anything in, you never invest, you never sow, and you end up floating here and everywhere, and you think, why? Where's the richness? It's because you never got rooted. And to get rooted, you have to face FOMO in the face and whack it out of the way. (laughs) Say, I'm not going to be a victim of that. All right? Listen, get over it. Yes, you're going to miss out on something more fun. Ah, Still alive? We're still here. Right, let's crack on. There's something bigger going on. Yeah? Don't worry about it. You think, you think, oh, you're man, you don't understand. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Talk to me later. Anyway, so devoted to prayer. So some good things here we're looking at. Um, I want to draw your attention to a few other things, and then we're going we're to bring it in. Um, there's, 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 as we go through, look, there's um, awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So part of being in the spirit-led community is that inexplicable things are happening. God is moving. I had a great testimony on the old um, GC WhatsApp this week of one of our members' fathers being in the most unbelievably, you know, just awful uh, road accident. Things you couldn't imagine and came out totally unscathed. You know. Thank you, Jesus, you know, to just answered prayers. How did God know? How did, well, how did God know? How, how did God do that? Wow. You know, that is part, that should be just a warp and woof, the part of normal church life. Amazing things happening, committing stuff to God, trusting him, you know, and letting him be who he is, which is the living God with unlimited resources, which means he can attend to all things at once and not run out of anything. Okay, so when we cut, it's infinite. So we, ah, hallelujah. So filled with awe and wonder. Where else have we got? I love this. Look, together. I love this. They were together and they had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. It's a beautiful picture. As I was preparing this, I just felt I really want to just um, say some things about, because I think individualism can lead to isolation. And when you go there, you're, you're in a whole heap of trouble. Like we're not made for that. And I think as I was thinking about what keeps people isolated is either fear or it's selfishness. They tend to be the two things that keep people away from others. Either fear. And you know, there's so much anxiety, isn't there, in our in our world. So much kind of relational fear and people have been messed about with and never want to trust anyone again. It's a big deal stuff, stuff that can shape people's lives. Uh, yeah, it's just really but you know, the Bible says but but the Bible says he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. 
and breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, once you start isolating yourself, it's a breeding ground for paranoia. It's a breeding ground for further mental health stuff. Well, all you've got going around your head is your own narrative. And you start mistrusting other people. And someone says something, and you think they're saying it in that way, and they weren't at all. But you've just not become, you've just not become connected enough for your brain to have really connected with how community works. And you're, you're full of fear and suspicion and worry. Now, the Lord wants to so mend and heal us from that. Do you know that? He wants to gently draw us out of that so that we are not, we don't become, our destinies don't become defined by the bad things that either people have done to us or the bad things in our hearts. He wants to deliver us from that. So we walk into a new thing. You go, I'm learning what it means to trust others. I'm learning what it means to be loved and to love. And that's so powerful, isn't it? Such a powerful thing. It's not dramatic necessarily, but it's so powerful and life absolutely wonderful. So they were together. They had all things in common. Also this, look, they, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So later on we read about them selling stuff and putting it at the apostles' feet, which is kind of like you know, giving centrally, which is a really positive thing we're talking about a lot at the moment, really good. But here is a different side to giving, and it's where they just saw, they just saw one another's needs within the community and just radically blessed each other secretly gave there no one else knew but you know or they or sold stuff because someone else that is a sign of the holy spirit at work in the community when it's costly but there's no sense of it being morose it's joyful okay so it's sacrificial they're selling stuff so they can help someone else out but it's not like oh, I better do that you know <laughs> there's none of that it's from the inside ah oh, no no we're part of the same body I care about you Wonderful, spirit-led community. Also notice this, they went to the temple and in the homes. There were large and small gatherings. Both are good. Both, God uses both to do different things. In gatherings like this, larger gatherings, there's just a sense of being caught up in the, in the bigger thing of what God is doing. And celebrating together the resurrection of Christ. Just that, that, that dynamic you get in a setting like this, you won't get in a small group. It's different. The numbers of people change it. But there's something that only smaller groups can do. But we have the wisdom here. They would go to the temple and they would be in each other's homes. There's this thing here. It's, it's all part of God's good grace to us. Sometimes you come along on a Sunday and you just, you know, you think, oh, I made it. Nothing in me wanted to come. <laughs> but I've made it. And then, and then the praises of others alongside, you know. You just get lifted, don't you? And you go, oh, oh yeah. You know, you get lifted by by, by the good things God's doing in other people's lives and the truth of the songs. And, that's, and you're just like, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And you're straightened out. That's his grace to us. But then in the smaller settings where you can really be knitted into community, really know and be known, it's vital, vital. It's, it's, it brings a completely different, whole new dimension to community. You know when one another's birthdays are and you, do, and you look out for each other and how's that going? And Wonderful. And running partners, twos and threes, where it's, it, you're able to disclose even more, this is, really, this is what's going on. Right, I'm with you. It's God's grace, spirit-led community. Wonderful. Wonderful. And then they were also told that um, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
never in favor of all the people. So they're thankful, praising people. Spirit-led community is thankful, praising people. Not entitled. We recognize all that we have is a gift. Yeah, and we're grateful for it. Grateful for it. Just reading in a, in a, on an article today about a very famous rugby player who's just been diagnosed with uh, early onset dementia, age 41. He's like, I've got three kids, I've got three stepkids. And you think, oh, it's heartbreaking. These, these things happen. Sometimes God in his mercy does the most extraordinary healings. We've got testimonies in this from the most wonderful healings. Sometimes in the mystery of God that doesn't happen. We don't know why. But I have often in my, in my slightly more negative moments just thought, how, how would I do in a moment like that? How would I do? I don't know if any of you do that. How would I do? And what it always brings me back to is this, is the more grateful I am for what I have in the here and now, the better I'll do. The better I'll do. The more I build in just that habit of just thankfulness and praise, it trains my mind and it trains my heart that all things are from him. It's not about what I deserve. It trains me so that if I was to enter a much more difficult season in life where things were stripped away for whatever reason and I didn't know the breakthrough of God maybe soon or, or maybe for years or decades, maybe till I cross the line and I'm into glory, my heart and mind would have been more prepared to find his grace in that. It's how the Spirit wants to lead us to make, to, as we help each other by encouraging each other to be thankful and to praise. Notice three conclusions from this community. Number one, evangelistic fruit. It's really interesting. It doesn't talk about any evangelism they did. You notice that? Oh, they were on the streets as well. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I love doing street. street. But this it, it, is not even mentioned. But the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. What's, what, hold on. Wow. Jesus said, when they see the way you love each other, they'll know you're the real thing. That doesn't mean they're all going to get saved. But it means some will. Because they'll go, they're not a bunch of hypocrites. They're the real thing. Yeah. So, so it has an evangelistic impact. The quality of our life together has a huge potential impact on the harvest. We've got to really take that seriously, number one. Number two, it helps us to see that if we, if the things I've spoken about today, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, awe and wonder, togetherness, generosity, thanksgiving, praise, if there's something in our heart that hears that and we go, oh, then that's a, actually a helpful moment. It's a little flashing light on the, on the thing, in the car. You go, oh, I need to pull over here. We've got, we're going to need to think about this. Something's going wrong. I mean, I'm in a bit of trouble. If, if you go, oh, yeah, but, you know, like the rest of us, you know, I'm not, I need to work on that. That's a bit of a struggle at the moment. But you're going, yeah, then you, but if you're going, oh, you need, guys, let me say, if that's you, we want to help you there. Okay, we want to encourage you there. We want to help you get to the bottom of that because that, that may be the, the, the well of the Spirit's got clogged up with some stuff. So you just pull it out, get the waters flowing again. Yeah, supernatural. God will do it, but you, you need to just notice that. And then, uh, and then thirdly, just want you to notice the beauty of unity. Just the beauty of unity. And someone, I think it was an Abbey at the, at the prayer meeting before the service, um, quoted Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. 
For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The Father loves our unity in Christ because here's the deal, here's the message. When Christ died on the cross for us, he was dealing with the barrier between all of humanity and God. Okay, he was dealing with that. Dealing with it. The, the things that keep us from God, our sins, our hard-heartedness, all of that, all the, all the darkness, he dealt with that by absorbing it all in himself at the cross. So that anyone who turns away from that and turns to him can know full reconciliation with God, total forgiveness, and a brand new start. Hallelujah. But he's also dealing with the barriers and walls we erect with one another. We're so tribal, whether it's between male and female, competitiveness, bad vibes, whether it's racial, whether it's the Jew-Gentile divide, all of these things, huge walls. The Bible says he demolished them all at the cross. <laughs> so we can find this extraordinary unity in Jesus Christ. His blood, his blood, who he is, the, the, just the huge dimensions of who Jesus Christ is, Lord of all, means that he, only he, is substantial enough to bring us together in genuine unity like we read about today. Amen. And if you've never known the joy of being born of the Spirit, born again, being made brand new in Christ, you can know it today because of the work of Jesus on the cross.